everybody is exhausted and tired and you know we just kept building resources and resources and i just said look there's patients in beds we have those skills to get those nurses in front of those patients we got to keep going until there's not a need so definitely an unprecedented challenge but we made it you're listening to the employee safety podcast from alert media a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where we discuss insights and ideas for how to protect your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Brian Cleary. Brian is the CEO of Crucial Staffing. Brian, thanks for being here. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Excellent. Well, it's great to have you on the show. And today we'll be discussing the importance of employee safety on the front lines of a pandemic. But before we begin, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about Crucial Staffing? Sure. Crucial Staffing was founded in 2019 to be an emergency staffing provider for any sort of disaster that happens for clinical and non-clinical personnel. Okay, excellent. And to provide just a bit of additional context for our listeners, can you share a bit about your background in particular and how you arrived at your current position? Sure. So basically out of high school, I joined the military, was a flight medic on the C-130s. Oh, wow. And that got me interested in healthcare, became a registered nurse in 1995. And then from there, I did emergency nursing in San Antonio, Texas, and then got into the healthcare staffing industry and have been in that for the last... 20 years, there was an ever-growing need to have emergency response capacity. So we broke off the emergency staffing component from a prior company. Okay, fantastic. So when Crucial Staffing was called on to deploy support staff and nurses, basically to the epicenter of the COVID-19 pandemic in New York, how and when did you start preparing? So two parts to that. We began preparing the day the company started in June of 2019 on large scale responses. Nothing this big, but certainly the thrust was to be able to deploy large volumes of clinical and non-clinical staff. And how do we execute that? And how do we make all those pieces work? That was the thrust of the company. So we had about a year working on that before the city of New York called with the volume of help they needed no one could have predicted that sort of volume and that sort of time frame, and, and we were off to the races. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, I understand that Crucial was the primary provider for both the New York City Office of Emergency Management and the NYC Health and Hospital System. So how did the company grow or expand in order to fulfill the needs of those two? I mean, they're just massive entities. Yeah, so to clarify that a little bit, the Office of Emergency Management found us through the New York City Mayor's Office. Okay. The original call was from the New York City Mayor's Office who passed our information to New York City Office of Emergency Management. And I'm not sure they knew where the need would be, but it wound up being with the New York City Health and Hospital System there in Maine. Okay. And so that that was the primary contract that we worked with was through New York City Health, which is a huge healthcare system there in New York City. Right. How did you guys grow? to fulfill those needs. I mean, it's, it seems like you said you, you hadn't planned on anything of that scale before. So clearly give us the two or three minute version, not the, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you could spend hours talking about it sure. but at a high level. How do you scale so fast? Yeah. So at the time of when they called 
and we ramped up for it. We wound up deploying 4,000 nurses, nurse practitioners, paramedics, respiratory therapists. Wow. Starting in March of 2019. And basically we ramped up with that, with infrastructure, building out all divisions of an operation that you can imagine, payroll, human resources. And I would say our secret sauce is on the ground. We essentially build a city around the operation wherever we go to. So for example, in New York, we were spread across six hotels and on the ground, we had matching logistical teams, mental health, physical health, human resources, payroll, transportation. We basically just built a sit credentialing, built a city around the operation on the ground that mirrored our emergency operations center here in Kansas City. I guess you could say that it's oftentimes an assumption people make that they can just manage something remotely and it's going to be just the same, but it sounds like that isn't the case. And is that learned from hard (laughs) real world experience? Is that why you made that choice? Yes, sir. You know, it's an expensive choice. It's not, none of that is billable, but they're called crucial onsite reps. We probably had, I don't know, 50, 60 staff in there across the hotels, getting nurses on buses, taking care of our sick folks, mental health folks, safety as far as handling PPE issues and making sure our staff were kept safe. So it was probably similar to what you'd imagine in a military style operation is kind of- That's exactly what I was thinking. Yep. Yeah, I've heard law firms doing that before too. They've got a big case in a, in a certain city and they'll they'll literally take over a floor of a hotel and just take up other rooms for offices. You, you got to be on site for certain things. And that makes sense. It's, it's a good, good point to make. Like if you're going to manage something of that scale somewhere locally, you really need to have support staff in the background to support it. Yes, sir. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, under normal circumstances, temporary staff typically have a start date, an end date, and maybe a little bit of advance notice to prep for the job. But in this situation, you guys deployed staff immediately. So what were some of the primary challenges you faced in coordinating so many staff members that quickly? So I think the primary challenge is when we activate and deploy that many that fast is the folks on the receiving end, in this case, the hospital, to be able to handle that volume of incoming staff to onboard them into their security systems, their medical charting systems. It's easy with a few people, you know, when you you drop a thousand in, and we would usually stagger a thousand over three days, but it was organized chaos to, to get started. And then you get into what's called a steady state of operations and things smooth out, but no one had a playbook for a pandemic. We uh, just had a few guiding principles that helped drive us day to day. That's interesting. So these receiving organizations that needed those workers, did they adhere to their their principles and policies, or did they say, oh, we got to change this stuff on the fly to accommodate such an influx so quickly? I'm not exactly sure how the sausage was made on the other side. (laughs) But they were a phenomenal partner. New York City Health and Hospital were a phenomenal partner, again, dealing with unprecedented challenges, just one of them being staffing. So we were able to form a phenomenal partnership with them 
and work through the day's issues. Okay. Excellent. I think it just calls for flexibility. You know, it's like yeah. we have normal policies, but we're going to find a way to get the right people on the ground with authority to override those so we can process and, you know, essentially get people the help that they need. So that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, when you grow from 12 to 600 employees in such a short amount of time, which is, I think is what you guys did. And you're responsible for temporary staff in countless dispersed locations, not just one. How do you keep all those people safe and well? Sure. So a few things guided us there were we had nurse practitioners on the ground in New York with us to help navigate those challenges. If a PPE wasn't available or wasn't the right PPE or whatever the PPE issue was, they were there to guide that. New York City Health and Hospital also had some command posts at each of the hospitals to help deal with PPE and disperse it. And then if the nurse didn't feel safe, we remove them from the hospital, make sure they had the PPE. And I would say a big part of it was communication, which we did through alert media of just getting the message out and saying, you know, if you do not have the proper PPE, do not go to your shift, do not continue working. You've got to be protected. So we made that loud and clear to our staff that we're working. So tell us more about that communication that you used, the methods, the strategies during what was a hectic and crazy time. How did you stay connected to your people under such, I mean, really extraordinary circumstances? Certainly. There was only one answer to that. Well, two, on the ground communication meetings with our staff, but to get a message out rapidly to such a large group of people with such changing information, changing operational status, we had to rely on alert media to send out text messages. And we would do that a variety of ways, polling. We could track their arrivals into the city of New York through polling. Are you two to four hours out? Are you six to eight? Are you delayed? Did you decide not to do the assignment? And we need to backfill them. So the polling functions, the verification functions, I mean, without exaggerating, saved our life. I think we sent over 20 million texts. Wow. Truly astounding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the feedback from our staff was amazing. They felt like that we were communicating with them. They felt taken care of. They knew that there was occupational health there. They knew there, there was mental health crisis counselors on the ground and where to go and what to do. And so that was huge. That's great. Well, I think communication really can bring calm and order to the chaos out there. And, you know, 25, 30 years ago, when people didn't have a cell phone next to them all the time and didn't expect all this real-time communication, you could get away with there being a little bit more chaos and people dealt with it. But now, no, <laughs> they expect to know what's going on every second, immediately have access to information. So you got to meet people where they are today. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, do you guys use communication for other emergencies or events beyond the pandemic? What are some examples? Yes. After we left New York, we went to Texas and had an operation in Texas two and a half times the size of New York. Whoa. So with 11,000 instead of 4,000 working in Texas. But the communication in other emergencies, we still rely on alert media. Maybe smaller orders will just make a phone call, but sure. to screen and organize our staff and who's been deployed with us and put them in different groups. Alert media is our tool, even for we're sending 20 ICU nurses next week to a hospital. And even that we're pooling and, and just utilizing alert media. So 
I would say aside from disasters, we were using it for some of our day-to-day stuff as well. We used Alert Media for Hurricane Dorian in 2019, Hurricane Laura. Also during the pandemic in the summer of 20, when we were at the peak or escalating in Texas, we staffed nine different hurricane task force through Texas and Louisiana concurrently with the pandemic. So it was something you'll never forget. I guess yeah, no kidding. Way to... <laughs> you guys have logistics down. I mean, it's, it's like a military <laughs> operation that you're running. <laughs> yeah, that part, that part we got. I mean, that's staggering. It can take years, decades for a company to grow to 11,000 people, but you got to spin up 11,000 people in a matter of days or weeks. I mean, that's just yeah. incredible. You know, at the end of the day, we saw, and everybody is exhausted and tired. And, you know, we just kept building resources and resources. And I just said, look, there's patience and beds, you know, mm. and if we have those skills to get those nurses in front of those patients, we got to keep going until there's not a need. So definitely an unprecedented challenge, but we made it. Yeah. Well, just in time staffing is incredibly valuable, especially in times of stress and, and crazy situations like this pandemic. I mean, you, you could never hold a steady state force for something like that because it would be uneconomical, but to be able to spin it up quickly on the fly is absolutely crucial, which there's your name. (laughs) (laughs) With a K. Yep. So what's next for crucial staffing? What does the future look like? I would say that there's a couple different things that we'll focus on. One is traditional healthcare staffing, travel nurses. Our nurses are just dying to keep working with us and Mm. feel very taken care of. Our social media presence has been awesome. And the feedback from our nurses that when they go, they are well paid and feel well taken care of has spread throughout the healthcare staffing community. And, you know, we've got a massive database of nurses and other healthcare professionals. So I think we'll just with with one thing we'll do there is just traditional healthcare staffing travel nurses. The other would be to continue to build out our our emergency management division across the country. So other counties, cities, state, federal entities know about us and can engage in a pre-strike agreement. So it's Mm -hmm. not such a fire drill and we can have a couple meetings on safety, policy, procedure, logistics on how to get going once we start. So it's not such a fire drill. That's a great point. And I think our listeners could take that into any aspect of emergency prep. It's like, think about it in advance, have contingencies, have plans, have partners out there, have agreements in place. So if something happens next month, next year, 10 years from now, at least you're ready to go and hit the ground running instead of having to figure it out from scratch. Yes. That'd be awesome. (laughs) Exactly. uh, We can build the plane on the ground instead of in the air. (laughs) Excellent analogy. (laughs) Well, I think many of us have a better understanding now of how events like COVID-19 or any major event can impact an organization of any size in any industry. But similar to you, a lot of our audience members are responsible for the safety and well-being of their people, whether they're temporary staff, full-time, part-time, contract, or some combination thereof. So with that in mind, what best practices or logistical tools can you share with them for emergency management and preparedness moving forward? I'd say a couple things. First, to have clinical professionals on the ground at the side of the operation. I think that it really helped us to have an occupational health clinic going 
where nurses could go to sick call. We had mental health professionals. It's easy just to not invest that money and say, go to the doctor, let us know, which is normal procedure if you've got a handful of employees. Right. Dealing with a lot of employees and maybe just not even a COVID response, but even a hurricane, you'll usually have two to 300 staff. We've taken that away as a best practice that we want to do that in the future, deploy somebody there who can just nurse practitioner level to take care of our folks, keep them healthy, physically, emotionally, spiritually, however they need to be taken care of. Yeah, it seems like if the business takes care of the employees, the employees will take care of the business. Yes, I've been asked many times, you know, how'd you do it? What's the secret sauce? How did you scale that fast, that quick and provide that quality? And I think my answer is pretty simple in the sense that I think a lot of organizations say they empower their employees because it sounds good but I don't think a lot do and empower them with decision-making at higher levels, financial decisions, operational decisions, logistical decisions, essentially getting the hell out of their way so they can do their job. And if they make a mistake and we had some mistakes along the way, you just learn from it and move. And I think the tendency is to install gates and red tape once an error is made, Mm. fluttering up an organization. So I think that has been rewarding to watch and have that culture trickle down, not just through me, but through our leadership group down to all levels of the organization and go, this is how we're going to operate and let you do your job. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I'm a big proponent of that. I think many people view failure as something that needs to be punished instead of something that needs to be learned from. And if we all take the mindset of let's learn from it, then everyone benefits in the future instead of it being a negative thing and nobody wants to fail and nobody takes risks or does the right thing. Absolutely. And another mentality you would not been able to scale at this level and have 11,000. I think we ended up deploying 20,000 different healthcare professionals but 11,000 was the peak working at one time. And to have the emergency operations center here in Texas was even more challenging to talk about that for a second. We were spread across in New York to six hotels and I don't know, 15, maybe 30 different healthcare facilities. Texas, we were spread across over 200 hotels and 200 different hospitals. Unbelievable. Many rural. So how do those nurses were just four at a hotel out in far West Texas in the middle of nowhere, how do you manage them and get them around? And we had at one time over a thousand rental cars out. Unbelievable. 80 coach buses. And it was just a massive logistical challenge. And our crucial onsite reps on the ground, we had them at each hotel were just huge and helped the day-to-day operations along. Now I know why I couldn't find a rental car. <laughs> yeah, really. We had them all. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate all of your time and expertise and advice. If anyone out there listening has follow-up questions or wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you out there? Sure. It would depend who's looking for us, but I would say a, a good point of contact is human resources at crucialstaffing.com whether it's staff or just visit the website. If it's a healthcare professional that wants to sign up, just go to our website. If it's a healthcare facility, they can reach out to human resources. Okay, wonderful. Well, thanks again for taking time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And for the rest of you out there, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. 
Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.